is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can roll the image, make it flutter. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your television set. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. everyone, and welcome to Smoking and Drinking in Space. This is a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi. I'm Jason. I'm Red. And this week, we discuss the science fiction anthology series that controls both the horizontal and the vertical. Yeah, it's it the Outer Limits. <laughs> Fuck, let me say that again. <laughs> <laughs> I say leave it. Let's just move on. It's the Outer Limits. Let's do this. All right. But first, let's do some news. All right. What do you got this week? Well, I got two stories. Uh, the first one that I brought up, we're going to go a little hard science. Okay. Um, we've got the New Horizons flyby out in the Kuiper Belt. Ladies and germs, we have just started to get images in from an, from an item called uh, Ultima Thule. Ultima Thule, I guess, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Uh, from our New Horizons team... We've got an actual bowling pin in space. Mu-69, Mu-69. And we are getting more and more clear images every day on this item that is further out than Pluto. It's actually in the Kuiper Belt. For those of you who aren't sure what the Kuiper Belt is, no, it is not a replacement for suspenders. Who could ever replace those? No, <laughs> this is a bunch of debris like you would find underneath your refrigerator that you say you've cleaned up, but you really haven't because there's always that extra broom full. This is leftover remnants from when our solar system was created, and we are just now coming out to a nice, big, juicy object out there. We're not quite sure if it's an actual bowling pin-shaped object or if it's a couple of large objects in close gravitational proximity to one another. But we're going to be finding out in a matter of weeks. So anyway, if it's two separate objects, according to the article here that I'm enjoying from Science News Magazine of the Society for Science and the Public, if it's two separate objects, a quote here shows that it would be an unprecedented situation in terms of how close they're orbiting to one another. This would be spectacular, as the person interviewed says they would love to see it, but the higher probability is that it is a single object. And that was the most recent update was at 1.20 p.m. on January 1. My second article is about the bane of all society, and that is artificial intelligence. <laughs> and it's discussing different jobs that are... Uh, probably going to be a really good exemplar of how AI is going to be fitting in with everything. And they have a really nice brief. This is also from Science News. I'll include uh, links to both of these uh, we can throw up on the site. And it's got a real nice, just a brief little uh, statement of the job and a paragraph explaining with links, of course, to the sources that they're citing. So anyway... In April, the Food and Drug Administration permitted marketing of the first AI that diagnoses health problems at primary care clinics. Oh. Another job, moon mapping. They took what we know about the moon and they threw it blank up against an AI called iSpot. Okay. It was able to identify 92% of everything we identified. Wow, that's not bad. 6,000 pockmarks that humans missed were also identified. Oh, wow. And those yeah. have been confirmed? Yes. Nice. Yes. Um, the next category is ear to ground. 
talking about earthquakes. Right. Accurately predicting the locations of aftershock locations. We're not quite to the point to where we can say, hey, there's an earthquake coming next week. You might want to move. But it is, if an earthquake happens, it can very rapidly give you aftershock locations, and those can occur for up to a couple of days after a major quake. So we can definitely let make sure people don't run to these areas. Yeah. And there's a few more. The next one I will mention to you that uh, <laughs> you just got to <laughs> check this one out. It's called, uh, they've entitled it, Seeing is Not Believing. AI raised eyebrows in 2018 as it was able to generate realistic fake video footage. And they've got uh, a horizontal comparison here with Obama and Putin. And Obama, they've been able to show four different images of uh, the same shot that it's been modified through AI differentiation. And they are definitely four entirely different looking expressions. It's kind of creepy. Yeah. Putin, on the other hand, dude, one, I, it, the man doesn't change. Uh, no, he's, 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 he's immutable. Yeah, he's, he is immutable. He's got that <laughs> fucking stone cold stoic <laughs> face. I mean, he, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him really smile. I think if he's he, oh, if he tries to smile, mm. it just looks creepy. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's just funny. But yeah, th there's like a picture of him straight, and then a picture with his mouth open. Picture of him straight. Picture of his mouth open. I'm like, okay, these are fake. I I, I can't tell. Yeah, it's Putin. Yeah, is so, it live or is it Putin? There's a Memorex <laughs> reference for you. Right. Um, I'm not going to tell the rest of it because it's a very interesting article, and I want people to actually go and read this. Yeah, definitely go check that um, out. I'll we'll have it up on the website. So I've, I will do those while you are speaking. I have seen some AI um, overlays on facial. Uh, well, basically, it, it does some facial recognition. Uh, AI goes out and scrapes faces of like celebrities, and I think this was a. a uh, there were there were a few articles pointing this out that people were using AI to overlay celebrity faces on porn videos. So, oh, I, I heard yeah. about that on another radio show. My God, I can't believe <laughs> Apparently, those things are so good. There's some people that could really have some serious litigation in their future. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's creepy how AI is, is getting infiltrated into some stuff. But yeah, I mean, AI is, is getting more sophisticated every year. Will um, the law be able to keep up? Possibly, yeah. That's a, that's a really good question. And, you know, where do you draw the line? I mean, what? Apparently they can draw the line any damn place they want because they got AI. <laughs> True. Well, I just have a couple this week. Uh, my first news article is that Carrie Fisher's brother says there's quite a few uh, minutes of additional footage, new footage, mm. that they're going to put in episode nine. Her. No. Uh, this is all footage that they shot in both episode seven and uh, eight that they're going to put into episode nine. Well, didn't, didn't they do some of that, though, when they were using Peter Cushing's character, Vice or Grand Admiral Thrawn? Not Thrawn. Um, they did Moff. some. Yeah. Grand I Moff think Tarkin. They did some, Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah, I think they did some uh, CG work on that to, to do his character. But Well, isn't, isn't that, don't they use AI for that? I don't know what process they use. I don't know if they animate that by hand or if they use AI kind of like, uh, you know, uh, celebrities in porn. But well, that's kind of what I was wondering. It popped into my head trying to keep a clean mind about it. But um, hopefully they I think they did a better job than what they did on Superman's mustache in, you know. Batman versus, or no, it was the Justice I League. I never it noticed it. You didn't? I never well, you noticed You didn't see it, it in the theaters then, did you? Oh, what? Are you kidding me? I, I live in the theaters. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I so, cannot believe you even would say that. So if you saw it in theaters, you would have seen that upper lip, oh. you know, like 10 feet across. And yeah, it was Definitely I got noticeable. my trusty. I don't need theaters as long as I got my little 16 inch black and white zenith. Yeah, yeah, that's probably why you didn't notice it. <laughs> but the uh, the article uh, will be up on the website for that. Uh, my last news item is: so, what do you think would have made the new Predator movie even better than what it was? Seriously, I don't know. No, that Rest wasn't. Christmas that was. Treats. That was 
Rice Krispies treats. Rice Krispies, yeah. I don't think they could fight you or peanut butter with Rice Krispies treats because then they couldn't open up that that maw. And and then we could could make the clicking noise. They wouldn't be able to roar frighteningly. Just, They'd be always trying to get that off mouth. the roof yeah. of their mouth. Oh man, that would get the claws. I mean, they hurt themselves. It would totally have stopped the show. You've you've figured out the Achilles heel for the the predators. I have. Congratulations. I, have. I just I just think about myself. It's just peanut butter. Mm. No, so apparently they shot several alternate endings for the Predator movie. And oh dear. I'm not going to go into you don't know what you get till you buy it. <laughs> yeah, something like that. No, there oh, is shit. a there is a, an official ending and it's in the movie, but they they kind of messed around with uh, some endings that they may have wanted to put into the movie. And I'm not going to go into detail on the article because the article has spoiler alerts. So if you haven't seen uh, the movie yet, then uh, I wouldn't suggest reading the article until after you do. But sure, um, one of the endings that they shot was apparently Ellen Ripley was going to be uh, in the Predator movie at some point. Wow. Yeah. Not exactly oh, sure. Was she going to be in the third grade? I no. This was uh, she was going to be wearing a a, a mask, a Waylon Utani mask, and uh, yeah. So it would have been like a some sort of a clone. Uh, no, not even a clone. It would have been a time shift because Ellen Ripley's from from the future. <sighs> Didn't we discuss in private that Disney owns all? They can change whatever the hell they want. Yes, Disney now does well or. I guess the merger, yeah, umbrella corporation. The merger finalizes, umbrella I think, corporation. Uh, uh, sometime soon. So it's not official, official yet, but um, it's pretty Omnicorp. much a, it's pretty much official. But yeah, Skynet. Disney uh, Disney bought Fox, and Fox owned Alien and Predator. So Skynet. now Disney owns Alien and Predator. But when this was being produced, it was still just Fox. So you On can't blame Sky. you can't blame Disney for this. Oh, I can blame Disney for the racing gas prices. <laughs> you could they own it all. You would be wrong, but you could. Uh, what are they doing to us? <laughs> <laughs> but all of that will be up on the website, so uh, definitely go check out the articles. Uh, we'll have links to those. Would not surprise me to see them do some kind of prequel with Wolverine, and he gets mouse ears. Oh, they've already they've already discussed uh, how they're going to bring the X Men into the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, I'm sure they have, and it probably involves Fantasia. Everything involves Fantasia. What are you talking about? Lightning, lightning bolts, and dancing rooms. <laughs> hey, I liked Fantasia. Never seen it. What? Never seen it. Oh my god. I thought it was just boring. You uncultured boob. I was a kid. I wanted to see dialogue instead of just this long, drawn-out opera. Symphony. Just, whatever. Didn't, didn't catch my interest. I had to watch Transformers. More <laughs> than meets the eye. But let's discuss the outer limits. So, Oh, let's do it. We each watched three different episodes Yes. Of both the new and the old series. Two of the old mm -hmm. series and one of the new series each. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your I overall got lucky. impression? I, I picked it random, and wow. I picked it. I don't know what I was doing in 96, but it didn't involve watching TV. The new show was just as good as the old. I, I might have picked a bad episode then. Um, they have. I might have. So what was your overall impression of The Outer Limits? Okay, I uh, you're familiar with the Twilight Zone? Yeah, absolutely. The Outer Limits is the brooding, dark little brother of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and and that was kind of how it was described back in the day when they were both. It on was together. like Wednesday Adams. Yeah, <laughs> sitting there plotting. So it was it was more of the darker, more hardcore sci-fi anthology series. Yeah. That yeah. the where the Twilight Zone was more kind of fantasy, supernatural, and whimsical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I watched, let's see, series of season one, episode one, season one, episode 14, uh, both of the original 
mm-hmm. series. And then the new series, I watched season two, episode one. And they all held the, the, the flame just went from black and white to color. It was the same intensity. It was good. <laughs> I enjoyed all three episodes. So tell us a little bit about season one, episode, which one? Episode one? Season one, episode one. We've got one, one. This is called The Galaxy Beam. And Cliff Robertson, that's one of the things I loved about watching the old shows. You get to see all these huge, megalithic actors yeah. when they were babies. Yeah. Um, Cliff Robertson uh, played a young guy that ran a radio station. Okay. And he was playing around with microwave technology and made contact, real-time contact, which was amazing. And they actually referenced that in the science of the show. Wow. I mean, I was very impressed. And he was able, he had, uh, uh, it looked like an aquarium. I'm sure that's what it was on the prop, on the, on the scene, uh, or the set, rather. Uh, it was a, a, about a 30, maybe 40-gallon aquarium for three-dimensional imaging. <laughs> okay. And he was, uh, he had just made contact with this alien that his, he had a, a, a reel-to-reel computer system. I don't know where, I guess he put this together, you know. Radio Shack. Yeah, Radio Shack. I'd and notice. he had a reel-to-reel that could translate binary not only into a three-dimensional visual spectrum, but also he could translate the alien language. Um, you know, as long as the alien could put it into binary, he could take that binary and translate that through to English. Sure. Real, real time. Okay. Real time. And this being was uh, telepathic, didn't have, it was really neatly drawn. And he was getting griped at by his DJ uh, employee and his wife because in 1963, he was only using about half the power. You know, say it's a thousand watt station, he's only running 500 watts. Right. Um, And he's not reaching the audience that he said he would reach. That means the advertisers are going to pull because they're not getting the sound out and and the ads out you know, to enough of the listening audience. Right. But he was having to retain that power uh, for other aspects of his experiment. There's a big uh, party going on. He's supposed to get an award. And an idiot replacement DJ decides that he wants to be heard all the way to Mississippi and Canada. (laughs) And so he cranks that power up, which inadvertently yanks this being from another galaxy and brings him to Earth. Oh, really? And he communicates through microwave radiation. <laughs> oh, whoops. Yeah. And apparently he doesn't like it when you shoot him with a police issue 38. Most things and, don't. Yeah. And so the way it ends, I'm, I, I literally, this thing is old. I, I, I'm loath to give the ending away. It's worth watching. Yeah. <laughs> it's really worth watching. I know it's a little late in the game for spoiler alerts, but it's that good. But it does not end with uh, humans doing their typical human thing or the aliens coming doing their typical alien thing. It, it's, it's thought-provoking. The ending is thought-provoking. The next episode I watched was called The Zanti Misfits, and this was hilarious. We have to deal with ants about the size of applehead chihuahuas <laughs> that have humanoid faces. <laughs> and this one i don't mind giving you the ending um it's basically there's a group of of aliens from the planet zanti they're very very technologically advanced you know obviously they have interstellar travel we do not they've made contact with earth and they do not have it within themselves or their society to execute their own criminals Okay. They don't. They don't even incarcerate their own criminals. They just can't imagine that. So they brokered a deal with humanity to we're going to bring our criminals to you and you're going to take care of. Them. So we have a bunch of humanoid ants the size of chihuahuas. No, 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 no. They're ants about the size of two pound chihuahuas with humanoid faces. Oh, okay. And we end up killing them. Just. <laughs> crushing them all and we're all freaking out about oh no you know they're going to come and invade the earth and destroy us and the leader of the zanti is like no 
we're we're fine. We never planned on destroying you. We just knew that you people are able to incarcerate and execute your own. And we figured you'd have no problem doing that with an alien species. And so you've just, you know, taken care of our dirty work. Nah. Much thanks. Much thanks. And, oh, it's so funny watching these people run and scream and the stop motion animation that was used. And of course <laughs> about half of the stop motion animation, you know, wasn't that great. And then there were other scenes where there was no stop motion animation, but they did, did a pretty good job trying to hide the fishing line, moving them around. Uh-huh. And it'd be like somebody throwing a, 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 what do they call those, those beanie baby stuffed animals that were so popular a while back. Beanie babies. I guess, BB or Beanie or whatever. Imagine somebody tossing one of those at you and you grab it and clutch it to your throat and start screaming and rolling around on the ground. That's <laughs> pretty much what was going on. Um, it was hilarious. It was, but, but still, even, even that ending, you know, there was no invasion. It was just thought-provoking when you think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, we're too evolved to deal with this. We still have problems with it. We're just going to let you barbarians deal with it. Right, right. So you're basically. I thought that was good. If you're a criminal on that planet, you get exiled into a, another planet where you're pretty much doomed to die. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hope their justice system is correct. They're not getting any wrongfully prosecuted insects. Yeah, yeah. And then the last episode was called A Glitch in Time that I watched from the new series. Uh huh. This came out in 90. Show 95. Six, 95. And if you did, uh, if this you did stars season one episode one of the new series. It's it's ninety five. Okay, well this is two episode one, oh, and okay. this has got Amanda Plummer from Pulp Fiction fame. If any one of you mother blinkers uh -huh. move, I'll execute every yeah. That's Amanda Plummer and Michelle Forbes from True Blood, Battlestar Galactica, and Star Trek: The Next Generation. I think fame. that's uh, not Plummer. No, or M Michelle Forbes and Amanda Plummer. Amanda Plummer oh, yeah, was yeah, Pulp yeah, Fiction. Yeah, yeah. Michelle no, was, Forbes is True Blood, BSG, in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah, I was I was thinking of uh, somebody else in Pulp Fiction. Go, go ahead, just ignore me. Right, Michelle Forbes. Uh, if you don't know her from True Blood, she played that crazy Minotaur-looking thing that the vampires couldn't bite because she had black blood freaked them out. Battlestar Galactical Razor. She was Admiral Kane. And in Star Trek The Next Generation, she was Ensign Roe Laren. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's originally from Austin, Texas, I found. So she's a Texas girl. And she plays an FBI agent, whereas Amanda Plummer's character is a former NSA scientist. And it deals with time travel and justice. Okay. Let's say that we have a serial killer like, oh, I don't know, Ed Gein. Uh-huh. And when he has been caught and convicted and stands ready for execution, Amanda Plummer's character goes through her time machine it's created that looks very, very similar in operation to a Stargate from the Stargate <laughs> universe. And she goes back before he's committed a single crime, verifies that it's him, and kills him. And the reason the FBI gets tied up in this is because they're finding ballistics reports going all the way back to 1954 from the same 9mm gun. Right. Yeah, that's a little curious. So that that begs the question, you know, you're executing people before they actually do the crimes, assuming that they're going right. to do the same crime in right. in the future. Yeah. So that, that gets kind well, of... Well, but the thing is, the thing is, when she returns, all the people, all the victims are alive. Right. So that, that also... That justifies up, it. Well, but does it? But it... Well, it justifies it in her. But this is... There's an interesting twist... That, that runs underneath as a subplot to the entire episode. And that is the fact of multiple realities impacting on the time traveler themselves. Uh -huh. Their understanding of these multiple timelines to the point where they actually, she actually starts experiencing brain hemorrhage. Oh, that's an end. So I think. And the first and the last person that she takes out is the guy that, that was a guy that assaulted her when she was a child. Interesting. So yeah. I think that's kind of a, an interesting dichotomy there. 
I think the new series for me, and I'll, I'll get into this a little more whenever I discuss my episodes. I think the new series to me went went too far in. I don't think the writing was as tight in the new series. I think they tried to be more clever than than what they were able to be. Um, so the the whole brain hemorrhage thing on on that that new series episode that you watched. What's the mm. point of that? I think there's other topics of discussion that you could you could make in that episode through the writing other than a, a brain hemorrhage because she's got too many timelines going on in her head. That doesn't even make sense. Well, well no, no. It could be if you looked at it from uh, environmental factors. I don't think that it was a side effect so much of this is going to happen to you if you time shift too much. I think what it was is she was already a damaged psychological or psychologically, she was already damaged from her own past. And the environmental impact of doing these multiple timelines and going back and stressing out was simply escalating her own problem. And more than likely, she was already predisposed for stroke. And she's just stressed herself out, especially when she confronted the person that was assaulting her when she was a young girl. Maybe, and I can I can see that, but you're making up an awful lot of backstory for an episode that. No, it's not. I'm not going. I'm not giving as much detail. I honestly, think if you were to sit and watch the episode, you would come to the same conclusion rather uh, rather easily. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give it a try. They 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 were alluding to it throughout. You know, why is this woman who is you know a scientist and and very well regarded? Why would she suddenly no longer be at the NSA and what's going on, and even though she was erasing time and erasing certain things, you know, obviously the FBI, they would, they would uh, at the very beginning, they found one of her fingerprints at a crime scene that happened when she was in kindergarten. How did it get there in another part of the country? Right. And the reason it came up was because she's part of the NSA database. Right. And so she uses her time machine to go back just the instant after she executes this guy. She reappears and then wipes off the fingerprint. Right. Okay. And then that, that entire file's gone. But no, I think it was, I think the first episode of season two was well written and it tied together and it was just a color version. And I think even better acted. And I thought the acting was pretty good in the original shows, but I, I was very pleased. I, I, I think maybe you just got a bad up. Yeah, maybe. So my first episode. Uh, of the original series was season one, episode three, The Architects of Fear. So I didn't pick mine totally at random. I kind of browsed through some of the show descriptions to pick uh, what piqued my interest. Uh, this was I one of to- them. I went total Rob. <laughs> uh, this one uh, was actually a good episode, and I'm, I'm glad that I saw this one first because the other two weren't, weren't as good. Um, so this one, uh, the big-name actor that was in this one was Robert Culp. Uh, if you remember oh, him, God. Bob Culp. Yeah. Oh, oh, and I forgot to mention real quick, real quick, real quick. The big name actor in the second one that I watched of the original series, mm-hmm. guy was like maybe twenty. Uh-huh. Bruce Dern. No way. <laughs> oh my God, it was so awesome. Yeah, I like him too. Um, so the Architects of Fear is basically about this group of scientists that are concerned over the nuclear proliferation um, back in, in the Cold War days. So this was, uh, the series came out in 1963, so this would have been about, uh, this would have been a little bit before the, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, mm. But there were a lot of uh, nuclear... But, it's also, but this also all happened uh, right around Kennedy's assassination. Um. Yeah. So take this, that into account. Well, with like you know so the, the attitude of America. Yeah. So this show would have produced before Kennedy was assassinated. Um, they released this series in 1963. Kennedy was assassinated November 22nd to 63. So right. they would have they would have filmed this before the assassination. But still, there was a lot of of atomic bomb testing going on. Oh yeah. Uh, in the Pacific. Um, and and they, this this group of scientists were afraid that you know there was going to be an accident and massive um, loss of life, loss of civilian life. So their thinking was that 
they needed a common cause for humanity to rally around. They needed a common uh, threat to mm-hmm. bring humanity together so sure. that humanity would be used to working together and eventually come to enjoy uh, the, the harmony of you know working against a unified threat. Absolutely, like buildings coming down in New York. I got it, yeah. <laughs> God. Uh, <laughs> oh, geez. Anyways, <laughs> moving on. Uh, apparently, they had captured this alien called a Thetan. Um, yeah, I wonder where we've heard that before. But anyways, um, or I guess they call them Thetans, right? Anyways, spelled the same. Uh, they'd ca- they captured this this alien called a, a Thetan, it, and it's probably about the size of an applehead chihuahua. Um, right. They actually show it at the beginning of the episode kind of in shadow. Somebody reaches into this box, and it's it's making all these squeaky little noises. It's funny. But they, they show uh, somebody reaching into a box. So hard. <laughs> they show somebody reaching into the box, and they pull it out, and then they show the, the shadow of the guy. And basically, he's pulled out some kind of rag doll, and he's shaking it oh, <laughs> to make it look like an alien is trying to escape. Uh, it was it was great. I loved it. No, his eyes go right back in. Trust me. <laughs> Jeez. Welcome to Earth. Uh, but, What's the safe word? Flugenschufen, flocken, flocken, flegen, begin. But apparently, this this group of scientists has developed their craft such that they can replicate. Um, basically, this this serum and this surgical procedure to transmogrify a human into a thetan or a thetan, oh. and so what they're going to do is they're going to take one of their group, they're going to okay. change them into a thetan, they're going to build right. this spacecraft, launch it, and then have it come back and and land in front of the UN. Uh, to show that you know aliens are real and that they're an existential threat to humanity, and okay. humanity is okay. going to you know come together and and build up defenses yeah, for this yeah. yeah so common cause okay. okay and Robert's Culp's character is the one who draws the short. Let me guess, he plays the president. I just wondered what would happen no. if humanity. Oh, sorry. No. Talking before the UN, maybe Robert Culp. Uh, Draws the short straw. So he gets injected and he has a wife, which oddly enough was also in the second original series episode that I watched as a wife. It was Geraldine Brooks. Um, oh, okay. I remember Ms. Brooks. And um, he's uh, he's basically going through this transformation and, you know, enjoying his last days with his wife because this transformation is pretty much irreversible. Um, oh man! Everything, <laughs> dude. Everything uh, basically goes as planned until they launch him, and he comes back, and he lands in the wrong spot. Uh, meets up with some dudes with shotguns. Oops! Gets shot. Goes Ow. back to the lab where they transmogrified yeah. him. Um, yeah. Meets his pregnant wife there. She realizes oh. that they changed him. And it, it, it becomes this this kind of philosophical, uh, you guys have... Hey, for better or for worse. <laughs> you guys... Well, he dies. Oh. You guys have, uh, you know, have this awesome knowledge and technology that you use to pull off this stupid scheme. Um, I think you were focusing on the wrong way to to help humanity here. So that that was the whole moral of the story, I think, yeah. on that episode. Yeah. Uh, it was it was pretty good. The effects were definitely you know low budget '60s effects, but I think uh, with the proper lighting and camera angles that they used, a lot of them really played off. So the the Pulling the shadow puppet work. Well, I mean. That's awesome. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> I think they kind of rattled the the little shadow puppet around a little bit too much. But, <laughs> um, I think the, the Thetan costume was, was a little... Uh, it was was a it little shiny rough. and silver? No, it wasn't shiny and silver. It was kind of frog-headed and bug-eyed and oh. had some kind of weird breathing apparatus. It was weird. But Do we ever hear from the Thetans again? 
No, no, you don't. You don't hear from the Thetans again. Because um, I want some of that serum. You do. You want some? Oh of that yeah, Thetan I'd serum? like to be transmogrified into something other than I am. <laughs> Anything could be an improvement. Uh, like I don't know. Russell Crowe. I don't know. You should watch Jason this Momoa. I don't, oh man, Jason Momoa would be good. Yeah, they don't. They don't look like Thetans. Or Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth. They don't look like Thetans. No, but if the it's the it's the science, man. It's the science. You just want it's Momoa just, serum, is what you want. I bet. I bet you can rude. get on eBay and find some Momoa serum. That is rude. I admire the man. It's funny though. Some uh, mm. local ABC affiliates actually censored the scenes that had the the full size Thetan in them because they thought um they thought the costume was too grotesque and they wouldn't show really? it on air. Yeah. Oh well, we could do an entire thing on what was good now and what's back in the day. Right. So the second episode that I did was season two, episode two, and I chose this. Or it's called Cold Hands, Warm Heart. And I chose this one specifically because it had William Shatner in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, of course, the episode starts out with a huge parade as William Shatner, the the uh, parade of honor guest. Um, he's he's just landed and come back from a trip to Venus. Uh, he's, oh, so he's not playing himself. No, no, he's not playing himself. He's He's playing, well... He's playing William Shatner as an astronaut who came back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> His wife. Well, I thought he's a very popular actor. I mean. He was. And this, and he actually filmed this shortly before he got the gig at Star Trek. So um, he was, you know, he was a, definitely a rising star back then. This episode also starred Geraldine Brooks as his, as his uh, wife. And... Uh, the the whole plot line of this is there's something going on with him. Something happened on his trip to Venus that's causing him to uh, to change. Um, he's cold, so his his body temperature is is fucked up, and uh, so he's always cold. In fact, at one point in the show, he uh, is sitting in a steam room that has some outrageous thermostat that goes up to like 240 degrees which steam doesn't do but wow um and he cranks that sucker up and he's well, i've heard of dry steam dry steam how do you have dry steam uh, it's something in the navy when they're boiling uh steam water into steam they've got wet steam and dry steam they they use it and i was just watching a documentary on the battleship uh Da, 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 da. It was either the Iowa or the Wisconsin, and they, this guy got a behind-the-scenes tour by some of the people that are actually procuring it as a museum, and they actually have a chamber that that's labeled dry steam. Hmm. That's uh, yeah. I've never heard of dry steam. I mean, steam is. Well, I'll do some research on the fly. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you? While you continue. So he's he's in this constant state of being just frigid because his body is changing now they said his body temperature was lowering which is kind of incorrect your body temperature would have to start rising for you to start getting cold in in normal room air temperatures but i'll overlook that so he's he's planning Found a, the answer when you're ready okay go ahead Dry steam is steam that is at the temperature of saturation but does not contain water particles in suspension. It is a very high dryness fraction with almost no moisture. Commercially dry steam contains no more than one half of 1% moisture. Okay, what's the temperature on that? All right. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Let's see, it's said to be 90% drier, dryness of 0.9. <laughs> Anyways, um, so he's he's planning this trip to Mars next. They're wanting to colonize on Mars. And he's got to go before a Congressional Appropriations Committee to get the money for their next project or their next phase of Project Vulcan. That's the... It says here that after water changes from a liquid to a gas at 212, it can actually heat up much hotter than that. Really? 
Um, and the gas form water molecules are spread out and have a lot more room to move and get much hotter than the other two phases of liquid and ice. So it can get hotter than 212. Interesting. But that's cool. Well, this, they, they were definitely not portraying dry steam. No, it was just hot. It was just hot. It, it's hot. And it Real was, hot. It was smoky. Hottest thing in my shorts. I could cook things in them. It With was. Crotch pot cooking. Thank you, Eddie Murphy. The launch man burst into flames. Oh, no, that was, uh, that was Robin Williams on Good Morning Vietnam. That's right. That's right. Well, fool, I told you again, what you born on the sun, it was damn hot. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Trying for a little comedy here. I'm sorry. But apparently he's, he encountered, so the, the Vulcan or the mission to Venus didn't go as planned. Uh, he dropped actually. Well, isn't the surface temperature of Venus approaching molten lead? It's, it's really hot. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of, of pressure on Venus. Um, but I mean, this was 1963. I don't think they knew that at that time. Mm. Uh, but basically he was supposed to go to an altitude of 20,000 feet. Uh, he actually dipped below that, had some problems and then saw this weird apparition, uh, on the surface of Venus before he pulled out and came back and <laughs> probably the first Russian that was there. Right. Help me. And they're, they're, uh, they're kind of impossible implying that that's that's what's changing him because his hands start changing into this this weird three-fingered form and he's getting kind of scaly skin things like that uh his personal doctor and friend is is really concerned because he goes to him first instead of some of the they called them space medics um yeah <laughs> damn it jim i'm a veterinarian not a doctor so he and his doctor and his his uh, new general or his general friend that is also, I guess, the mission commander, um, help him out by putting him in this uh, space environment chamber to kind of, I guess, burn the change out of him. It was it was okay. kind of weird. Um, and he eventually recovers, uh, goes before the appropriations committee, uh, lies through his teeth about why his hands are fucked up. And gets the money so they can finish their their project Vulcan. Um, okay. It was classic Shatner, uh, overacting pauses, um, <laughs> awesome facial expressions. Uh, he's got that swagger. Um, it was yeah. It was basically he's like a little John Wayne. <laughs> it was basically Captain Johnny Wayne who went to Venus. So. Uh, it was it was yeah. a decent episode. It wasn't as good cool. as the first episode, but it was a decent episode. You had episode. me at Shatner, man. <laughs> you had me at Shatner. And the episode that I did for uh, the new series uh, was season one, episode 15, called The Voyage Home. And I chose this one because it had Michael Dorn in it. Ah. So the first thing I'll say about the new series is that the production values in the cinematography uh, against the old series was oh, like night and day. I mean, it was sure. It looked great. It looks great in color. Uh, the yeah, the art direction or the the camera direction was was great. Um, they were on some really tiny sets. You could tell in this episode, uh, but it, it fit the episode because it was it was kind of a, a claustrophobic episode to begin with. The problem I had with this episode was that the writing was not nearly as good as the original series. This was basically the plot of the thing. Um, okay. There are three astronauts who... You're talking Kurt Russell? Yeah, Kirk Russell. Okay. Um, or Kurt, Kurt Russell, yeah. Kurt, yeah. So basically, there are three astronauts who have gone to Mars. Uh, they've been on Mars for a little bit. This is called the Mars 3 mission. And on their last day on Mars, they find this alien did artifact. Did they take potatoes? Yes, they did. Um, awesome. They, they find an alien artifact, and they all pass out for some reason. And they're unable they – have, they have a window with which to launch to get back to Earth. And so they're not able to study the alien artifact. On their way back to Earth, they – I don't know. Hit a micrometeor is what they said. But it definitely fucks up their ship more than what I would think a micrometeor would do. Um, 
And so they have ship problems, but then they notice this goo on their ship. Uh, so Michael Dorn's character is is some sort of uh, medical doctor or scientist. Uh, he's studying this goo. They have some more ship problems that they're they're having to fix. Um, the main guy, uh, J. O. Sanders, plays Ed Barkley. Um, he's basically, I guess, the mechanic of the ship. So he's down there fixing yeah. this uh, the ship. And Matt Craven is playing as Alan Wells. Um, he's uh he's the ship commander from what i could tell okay so uh jo sanders is down there he he has them turn off the power to the uh air conditioning uh so the ship's temperature is rising it's it's like at 90 something almost 100 degrees by the time he's he's fixing this and uh matt craven seems to be going nuts um because he's yeah, he he's basically got the space madness. Space madness. At the end, just before Ed Barkley finishes uh, fixing the air conditioning, he you know powers back on the air conditioner and and almost electrocutes Ed Barkley. Um, and then Michael Dorn's character, who's called Pete Claridge, uh, you know shuts down the power in time before he dies. It turns out that Matt Craven, uh, you find out a little later, is uh, an alien in disguise. Um, whatever artifact they found on Mars was an alien artifact, and these aliens proliferate uh, through spores that they let out that basically creates copies of, of humans or whatever, humans in this case, sure. but, but whatever they're, they're trying to replicate. Uh, it kills the thing that they're replicating, and then they become. Uh, then they can change back into that shape, but their their real shape looks kind of like some kind of weird tentacle bird lizard thing. Oh, okay. So Barkley, Ed Barkley's character, finds out that uh, the commander is one of these alien things and throws him out of the airlock. Uh, he's Rude. not sure about Michael Dorn's character until he goes down to... Well, did the thing try and hurt anybody? Yes. Yes, he did. Okay. Well, then I understand vacking the dude. But <laughs> you didn't say he tried to hurt. All I heard was that he was upset about the heat. He almost gets electrocuted, and then he gets no, no, spaced. No, no, no. he was the one that almost electrocuted the dude. Oh, all right. I misunderstood. I'm like, what? Did, what is this with humans? It don't look like us. Yeah, it don't taste yeah, good. Yeah. Kill it. I mean, so humans. he's he's not sure about Michael Dorn's character. So he's kind of standoffish and says, you know, just stay the fuck away from me because yeah, I don't no know if no, you're I one of them. Um, right. Until he goes down to uh, fix another uh, mechanical. Uh, he goes down to fix something else and looks at the spacesuits and Michael Dorn's character is dead in a spacesuit. So then he knows that the other uh -oh. dude is is an alien. Um the alien well, he's a Klingon. Right. Uh, the alien comes by as he discovers this and goes, look, I don't want to kill you because it's going to take two of us to land this thing on Earth. Um, and besides, I couldn't even if I wanted to because we can only, you know, spore every 30 days. So um, and I've I've just spored. So I've got to wait, you know, another 30 you know days before I, I got to have. I need a little recovery time. I've recover. already spored once. <laughs> I need a sandwich and a nap. And Some then I'll be good to go. Yeah. yeah. Keep the fluids up. <laughs> <laughs> Aliens, what are you going to do? <laughs> so this guy is is debating on, on what he's going to do. because Oh, he, he was debating. <laughs> Master debating. He debated. Yeah. Uh, so he doesn't want to bring this alien to Earth because he doesn't want the alien to take over Earth. And the alien's like, look, I'm not here to take over Earth. We just, our world's sun, you know, burnt out. We are looking for another planet. I'm basically the last of my species. <laughs> we just want to live in peace. It's pillow talk, baby. Yeah. I was thinking of you the whole time. <laughs> ah, shit. She doesn't mean All anything right. to me. Nothing. It wasn't me. I wasn't there. It wasn't me. It's not me on the tape. <laughs> so 
they 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 get contact with Earth. Uh, they're coming in. It looks like he's going to 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 land the the capsule, but at the last moment, uh, he shuts off the engines, and they basically burn up in the atmosphere. The end. Um, <laughs> so he he finds his conscience and decides, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let this alien take over the planet. You know, by exponential sporing. Um, the, the writing on this one was pretty weak. Uh, like I said, it's basically the plot of the thing. Um, I don't think the characters were very well developed. The, the production values looked good. The special effects were pretty good, uh, especially for the, the mid nineties. Uh, some of the, <laughs> some of the props were a little dated. They had, you know, full on <laughs> CRTs, but I mean, what can you do? Um, what's well, a CRT? Cathode ray tube. Yeah. Yeah. So like a, a one of those big uh, ass computer monitors. Yeah. Computer monitors ah, that we used to have that weighed like fifty got pounds. Got it. Yeah. Um VGA. And but the acting was good. I mean, these these were some, you know, well known actors back in the day. Um not I mean, I haven't seen them much lately, but you know, it's this was twenty years ago, so um, You're making me feel old. I know, I know. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was it was an okay episode. It was uh, this was on Showtime. I was expecting a little more grit uh, since it was on on a premium service, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, subscription service. But I don't think I don't think I got a, an example episode of the series from what you're saying. Well, I really enjoyed mine. I thought it was well acted. Um, uh, special effects seemed a little, little hokey on the on the newest episode I saw. You know that that shimmering kind of Max Headroom looking background that you walked through. I mean, essentially all they do is walk through a green screen. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but no, I, yeah, I, no. I I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. I like the uh, the Outer Limits series. I liked what they were trying to do. They were taking, I mean, it's it's classic science fiction. They they were taking contemporary subjects and putting them in a in a science fiction wrapper and exploring uh, exploring human motivations within that science fiction. Well, wrapper. and I was gonna I was gonna actually gonna mention that I felt like the fact you know brace yourself you know put on your helmet and your seatbelt. I like the character development. Oh my god. You heard it here. You heard it here. Episode 43, he liked character development. (laughs) I enjoyed how a lot of this was based upon the conflict within the characters themselves, and it wasn't chasing the next explosion in space or the next weird special effect. Right. I thought that was really, really awesome. Right. That's one of the things I enjoyed about it. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy episodes that that actually make you think, and it's not just an action shoot 'em fest. And I got more of that from, and, and to, to parallel this, I watched a couple of Twilight Zone episodes. And honestly, I felt that the Twilight Zones did not leave me thinking. So the Twilight Zone is is a weird one because uh, sci-fi over the holidays had uh, their Twilight Zone marathon. So I caught several oh, episodes. They? Yeah. So I caught several I episodes. I don't have the cable. I know. Caught several of the episodes on the marathon, and yeah, it is kind of a mixed bag. Some of the some of the episodes definitely are more thought provoking than others, but I mean the the Twilight Zone was on for quite a while. Um, it's yeah, another, it's like it's another anthology series that you know they were putting out weekly. You can't expect every show to be you know top notch. Well, no, well, no, but like one of my favorite Twilight Zones was the one with Burgess Meredith, where he just. He was able to stop time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's you know stops it right as World War Three is happening. Now, and he's got all the time in the world finally to read all these books, and he breaks his glasses. Breaks the and watch. I'm right? not. No, he you know he's got the watch. He can still move time forward, but if he does, everything's gone. He breaks oh. his glasses so he can't see to read any of the books that he wants to read. Yeah, I think I remember. So I thought there was another one that... And that didn't leave me thinking. I'm just like, dude, that really sucks. What's for dinner? You know, I mean, it's like, you know, sucks to be him. Yeah. And that was it. It didn't leave me pondering, wow, what if? So like I thought the episodes there was a, I watched. I thought there was a Twilight episode where he had a watch that stopped time. And... Yeah. He uh, 
He robbed a few banks. And then he never, he he never, he stopped time and then broke the watch. So he couldn't start it back up. So he was stuck and stopped time. Maybe I'm thinking of it because there was a Simpsons episode that was like that too. I think you're probably thinking Simpsons because Burgess Meredith didn't rob anything in this. Hmm. So that's he was just a quiet little, he was a quiet little bibliophile. And he wasn't, he didn't have a whole lot of friends, you know, didn't have a whole lot. I mean, he just didn't like society. He just wanted peace and quiet. Leave me alone. Let me read my books. Yeah. That's another curious thing is that there were a lot of uh, Outer Limits episodes that were credited as Twilight episodes throughout the the years because they're so similar. similar. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also Mandela. (laughs) Mandela effect. Well, I think they should make that more of a psychological thing than an actual thing thing like they're pushing it. Right, right. People are just superimposing false memory. Yeah, it's kind of like deja vu. Right, but that's real. That shows a glitch in the Matrix. Uh, you're right, you're right. What am I thinking? Saying, man. Well, Neil explained it. Any other thoughts about the Outer Limits? I enjoyed them. If you've got some time to relax, um, I found all the old ones. And the new ones on the YouTubes. Yeah, they're also on so, Hulu. That's where I watch them. And so I'm 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 all for it. I mean, you can do far worse than to spend a couple of hours watching some of the the old shows and enjoying a sandwich and some soup. <laughs> right. I think it was a lot of fun and I feel that I have not wasted any time of my life whatsoever. Yeah, and it, and I like it that it's an anthology series, so you don't have to watch them, you know, in order right. all at once. You can just pick them up exactly. and, and let them go exactly. as as needed. So it's something. Hey, I've got you know an hour to burn, and I want to watch something. I think I'll pick up the Outer Limits. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I am a big fan. Let's get to some awards. Let's do it. So, uh, who's got your Black Lung Award? My Black Lung Award is going to go to Cliff Robertson. Cliff Robertson, so... In my first episode. In your first episode, why is that? Because he not only was smoking the cigarettes in this, because I think everybody did in 1964. (laughs) Right. A lot of people were smoking in this episode. But because one of the the, uh, parts that happens is the alien realizes it. Without meaning to, he has broken galactic law. And his own people were going to come get him because... Where humans were carbon-based, they were nitrogen-based. Right. On And they had no death. He, when, when he asked what death was, and Robertson explained it to him, he says, we do not experience death. The energy of the mind continues. Right. So, but, um, oddly enough, the, the Thetans in uh, my first episode were also nitrogen-based. Hmm. Well, I guess somebody enjoyed nitrogen. Well, there's a lot of it on Earth. There is a lot. You're breathing more of it now than you are oxygen. Right. But, you know, let's not get too sciencey. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to give mine to Cliff Robertson because the alien, to make sure that uh, after he explained the importance of, you know, the consequences of our actions, can't just think as far as the end of your Earth gun. Can't You, know, you got to think past the end of that barrel, buddy. Right. Um, he used his uh, microwave power to destroy the transmitter. Okay. And that was a big tower, a lot of smoke, a lot of fire. Oh, I bet. So that's my Black Lung Award. It's going to go to Cliff Robertson. So my Black Lung Award is going to go to the apparition that Will Shatner saw on Venus because they they did show Venus as kind of this uh, hot, smoky world, and that apparition came up out of the smoke. It was it was like the smoke itself gelled oh. into this apparition that was uh, tormenting Will Shatner. Might that be intentional? Hmm. Hmm. So the apparition on Venus gets my black lung. Uh, my head right. lush, because oddly enough, I did not see anybody smoking in any of the episodes of The Outer Limits that I watched. Really? None. Well, good. Smoking's bad, but you're never too young to start. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my Head Lush Award is going to go to Jeff Barton from Cold Hands, Warm Heart. That's the uh, episode that uh, William Shatner was in, and that is who William Shatner was because um, 
he was drinking coffee like hot piping hot coffee like it was soda i mean he was slurping that shit down because yeah. oddly enough nobody drank in any of my episodes of the really? Outer limits yeah nobody drank so uh How that's funny. that's the closest to uh a a uh, alcoholic beverage that i could get in any of these episodes who's got your head lush funny that's what i ran into i didn't see any booze yeah that was odd especially for the 60s it was alluded to at the celebration in the first episode when this guy got his award i mean there was a bar but there wasn't anybody standing at it there were glasses on the tables but nobody was picking them up yeah that's Interesting. Yeah. So I'm going to default mine over to Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson, honorary headlash award. Well, who's got your purple hippo? Oh, well, purple hippo is going to go to people looking at the ant things. <laughs> In fact, I think I ought to give it to the guy that came up with the ant things. <laughs> He's seen some stuff. I've seen some things. Oh, man. Those things were fun. Uh, it sounds like it. I'm going to have to check out that episode. So my purple hippo is going to go to Ed Barkley for watching both of his crew members transform into alien bird tentacly things. Oh, fact, I can go with that. In yeah. fact, the first time he saw it, he uh, freaked out so much because the alien grabbed his wrist that he uh, pushed it out of the airlock. And then after he pushed it out of the airlock and was talking to Michael Dorn before he started suspecting Michael Dorn as being an alien... He was kind of questioning himself as to if he really saw what he saw, but he was pretty sure he saw what he saw. All right. Well, that's, um, a, that's, a, that's a common side effect of the Purple Hippo experience. It is. It is. Did I really see that? <laughs> All right. Well, now it's um, time for the player. Oh, that's right. We skipped the player award. Fuck. Oh, I, I haven't skipped it. I got mine picked. So my player award is going to go to Geraldine Brooks because she had two husbands. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's, see she's that. definitely a player. Serial she had, player. She had two episodes with a different husband each. She's getting around. I mean, the first husband turned into Thetan and died, so she had to look around. She she got a second husband. So mm, I understand. Well, mine's going to go to a yet unmentioned character from the new episode that I watched. There was an FBI agent male that was constantly sniffing and snapping at the heels of Michelle Forbes' character. Oh, yeah? And in every single timeline, he was chasing after her. And at the very end, he got her. He got her. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons uh, the that this happened was because there he was a character. He couldn't take no for an answer? Well, no, he was taking no pretty well, actually. Um, but... You know how I said in the in the episodes, you know, the timeline would change and the victims were alive. Mm -hmm. Well, the the right before the end of the show, the timeline was corrected, so all the victims that they were originally investigating were back to living, and one of them was the best friend of the female FBI agent. Mm. And there was a scene where she had made friends with this guy, her partner. And said, why don't you ask her out? She always asks out these jerks, these horrible guys, you know. And when she brought it up to the FBI agent, her buddy, she was like, him? No way. Are you kidding? Nah, not at all. And then when the timeline was corrected, now she can remember that other timeline. And when the guy is just kind of sitting there a little mopey, she's like, can you still get those Kirsugawa tickets? <laughs> um, he's like, uh, yeah. She's like, well, why not? And he's like. Okay. And she said, you know, my friend would have liked you. He's like, really? She says, yeah, I'd bet on it. I'm pretty sure she'd like you. So it's like, oh, oh, you know, oh. But, you know, I'm giving it to him because, man, every single, there's like five different timelines in this episode. And he was always right there. You know, hey, baby, how you doing? How you doing? Every episode, every timeline, almost that episode, every timeline. <laughs> but I mean, it's Michelle Forbes. I mean, she's got to be nearly six foot tall. Rawr, rawr. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, and I, I guess that wraps it up. We need to pick us an episode. I think so. Or an episode. I got to get away from episode. We need to pick a film. <laughs> yeah. Let's see something that Disney hasn't made or gotten control of. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. All right. Well, we have. Uh, 109 episodes or none, 109 titles on Although the list. Although I have to admit, 
nobody gets pissed like Donald Duck. That's true. I love Donald getting into one of his little tirades. That's true. So you need to pick a number between 1 and 109. 1 and 109. Let's go with 40. 40. Huh. So this is one I think I saw a long time ago. Remember, people, we're old. And I don't think I've Was seen it in it this century since. or the prior century? It is one from the prior century. Nice. It is a movie about an apartment block of tenants that seek the aid of alien mechanical life forms to save their building from demolition. Batteries not included. Yes. Yes. Batteries not included. Oh, this is delightful. This is going to be a fun one. I don't remember a lot about this movie. Oh, watch it with the family. Okay. Watch it with the family. In fact, I think I it probably saw this great. in 1987 or 88 and totally forgot about it. I kind of really remember think, I, I honestly think this was made by Disney. Well, one of the writers uh, is Brad Bird, and he is one oh, of the well, prolific yeah. writers of the Disney yeah. cartoons. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Batteries not included. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely delightful. Good one. Good one. Yeah, screenplay Red, dead, by Brad good. Bird. So yeah, this is definitely a Disney. Uh, it's it's got roots. It's got roots. Yeah. No, this is this will be a fun one. This will be a fun one. You'll enjoy it. Looking forward to it. And that's our show for this week. Our intro and outro music is "Welcome Home" by Cambo. Pod crawl music is "Snack Mix" by Machette. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Podchaser, and Blueberry. You can leave us feedback at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com, on Twitter at at status underscore podcast, or email us at smokinganddrinkinginspace at outlook.com. I'm Jason. And I'm Red, as always. And we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, guys. Bye.